In case we haven't got the chance to meet, my name is Tellus. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And if you're joining us, maybe because you're out of town visiting some family, we want to say welcome. So thankful and grateful that you're worshiping with us this morning. We're going to be in Psalms chapter 103 this morning. We're going to continue what we've, uh, what I've been speaking on for the past few weeks in Psalm chapter 103. The first week we realized and walked through this Psalm of David that is really about blessing the Lord. And what does it mean to bless the Lord in all reality? Last week we took a look at who God is. Do I really know him? How scriptures were actually teaching us something that it's one thing when we proclaim something about God. That's worship. It's another thing when God proclaims something about us. That's judgment. But it's a whole nother thing when God proclaims to us something about God. That's called a revelation. We ask ourselves, do I know him? Have I had a revelation of God? And this week, we're going to finish out the psalm in chapter 103. So we're going to be in Psalm uh, chapter 103, verse 14 through 22. And if you would, could you stand with me in the reading of the word? We're going to read the entire psalm, but our verses we'll be studying this morning is 14 through 22. And it says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and with mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion towards those who fear him. This is our text for the morning. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place snows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I want to title the message this morning, As for Man. As for Man. Would you pray with me for a minute? Lord Jesus, we love you too. 
And we bless you in this place with everything that we have. We love the ministry of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are creating a space for you to land on us. Rest in this place, Lord Jesus. And Holy Spirit, minister more than what my mouth can do. Lord, if you're not glorified in any other place, would you be glorified in this place? And Lord, if you're not glorified in any other heart, would you be glorified in this heart? Jesus, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can take your seats. Amen. As for man, as for man, we have been traveling through this psalm and what I've mentioned before is what I'll mention again. If you're looking for a psalm to memorize or a scripture to memorize, might I suggest this one? Psalm 103 has everything in it that you might need. And theologians believe that David, the writer of this psalm, potentially wrote it in the later parts of his life because it's so filled with the mercy and the grace of God. And David, being more keenly aware to his need for God's grace and mercy, probably wrote it from that place in his life. Therefore, we see the emphasis on the character and the nature of God. And at points, we see the emphasis on us. Here, we get David writing a little bit about as for man. We are obsessed with ourselves. I know that you know that, but I'm just going to say it out loud for all of us to be on the same page. We are obsessed with ourselves, right? Like we all know that. And, and, and we're obsessed with ourselves in a lot of different ways where we are obsessed with learning about ourselves. You ever been in a space or maybe you know a friend who's like obsessed with taking tests about themselves? I mean, like whether it's like the productive ones like a disc or a strength finders or like an Enneagram or maybe you're doing like a horoscope, which I don't recommend. I don't think you should do that. But we're looking at all these different tests to tell me about me. Or maybe you're not looking outside for somebody else to tell you about you. Maybe you're the type of person that looks inside to tell you about you. You're searching yourself to find the answers to the questions that you've always been wondering about. I wouldn't recommend looking outside to tell you about you because they don't know any more about themselves than you know about yourself. And I wouldn't recommend looking on the inside to tell you about you because you have the problem inside of you. If my car is busted, I'm not going to look inside of my car for the answer. I'm going to look inside of my car for the problem. I'm going to look outside of my car to the manufacturer for the answer. And sometimes we often look outside for the answers or inside for the answers when we need to be looking up for the answers. David is emphasizing the character and the nature of God. And then in this moment, we actually get a great look about us. You see, your life starts with him. It starts with God. And our obsession about ourselves actually leads me to believe that we don't really know that much about ourselves. 
We want to know a lot about ourselves, but we don't really know ourselves that well. And the Bible actually speaks at length about the condition of humanity. And I really believe that in some of our minds, we think differently about us than the Bible thinks about us. You know what the Bible thinks about you? It has a lot to say about it. But the overwhelming impression that the scriptures say about you as humanity is, but loved. <laughs> eh, but loved. Peter. Eh, but loved. Joseph. Eh, but loved. Rahab. Eh, but loved. David, Solomon, Mary, Levi, Zacchaeus. Eh, but loved. Me. Nah. But loved you. Nah. But loved. That's the overwhelming impression that the scriptures have about you. And if I could give you my message in a sentence, it would be this. We are not nearly as impressive as we might think but we are far more loved than we could ever imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but loved. David says, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we're formed from the dust. What David is doing here is he's recalling Genesis. Genesis is when he sees the creation story of man and woman and how God created man and woman, which was unique from all other creation. But the way that God created man and woman is that he took dust from the earth and he breathed into it the breath of life and it became a human being, a person made in the image of God to actually rule and reign like him in his place, doing his will on earth as it is in heaven. That's what the scripture says about you. So David just remembers, he says, he knows our frame, he remembers that we're formed from the dust. The issue is not that God forgets that we're formed from dust. The issue is that sometimes we forget that we're formed from dust. God took some dirt and breathed into it and decided and decided and said, yes, that's good. Now, this does not mean that we are insignificant. I'm not trying to teach us that you do not matter. No, in the contrary, you are not insignificant. You are wildly precious to him. This is not a message about you being really, really unimpressive and insignificant. This is a message contrasting who God is and who we are. As for man, I believe that awareness creates awe. It creates wonder in us. Did you know that the Grand Canyon National Park, the Grand Canyon National Park is bigger than the state of Rhode Island? The whole state, one national park, one crater is bigger than the state of Rhode Island. Did you know that Mammoth Cave National Park has the biggest, the longest cave network in the world, 3,500 miles of underground cave? You know where it is? Kentucky. 
right? Like how many of us knew that? The biggest cave system in the world is in Kentucky. Did you know that 20% of all fresh water in the world comes from the five great lakes? 20% of all of the fresh water in the entire world comes from the five great lakes. I wrote them down because I don't remember them. Lake Superior, Lake Michigan, Lake Erie, Lake Huron, and Lake Ontario take up 20% of all of our fresh water. Why am I giving you random facts? Probably because you heard those facts and said, whoa. Awareness creates awe. So if we want to be more in awe of God, we need to increase our awareness of God. And that's what David is doing here. He's increasing our awareness of who God is. That we are not that impressive, strong, or resilient. If you go to the beach, the one thing that you can guarantee is that the waves are going to ebb and they're going to flow. And if I look at your life or my life, one thing I can guarantee about my soul is it's going to ebb and it's going to flow. If I can guarantee one thing about my emotions, they will ebb and they will flow. If I can guarantee one thing about my will, it will ebb and it will flow. But God is not like us. He is constant. He does not shift and he does not change. And David is holding up us side by side and saying, no, 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 I'm not saying that you don't matter, that you are insignificant. I'm saying that as for man, his frame is weak. As for man, he's formed from the dust. And what that does, it doesn't make us insecure. This makes us grateful. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. If you would let me Bible nerd out for a second, when I read this text, this is David writing about the um, frailty of the human condition, that we are here today and gone tomorrow. And if you know your Bible, you know that Solomon is the son of David, and David wrote this text here. And if you consider Solomon, you consider Solomon is the guy who's not that encouraging, the guy who said that everything is a vapor, that everything doesn't matter, that nothing matters, everything is meaningless. And I would like to think that Solomon read this verse and said, yeah, that's dope. I'm going to make my whole life about that. It's like, well, no, that's not really the point. But I imagine that Solomon read this from David. He's like, yeah, everything's like grass. We're here today and gone tomorrow. That's Ecclesiastes to a T. And David is giving us a picture of what it looks like for us humanity to want to be remembered so badly knowing that we're so frail. We want to be remembered so badly. Some of us work so hard just so we can be remembered, just so we can be acknowledged, just so that people would look at us. And it reminds me of Genesis 11 in the story of the Tower of Babel. Right after the flood, humanity's wiped out because they were thinking evil and doing evil continuously. All of a sudden, humanity's back together, and they say to themselves in Genesis 11, let us make a name for ourselves. We will build a tower to heaven, and God will recognize us. In the most ironic way, God then says, let me stoop down to see this little thing that they have done. God gets down into earth, looks at it, and says, okay, confuses the language. And I think sometimes in the same way, we build our lives like they built Babel, making towers of nothingness for ourselves and by ourselves. Aiming to be seen by others. 
And if you want to live a ridiculously anxious and insecure life, live for the approval of others. What Babel didn't understand is they were building a tower to get God's blessing, not recognizing that God is a God who blesses when he stoops down to us. We do not build impressive things in order to be blessed by God. God stoops down to earth in order to bless us. You can't work for the blessing of God. You receive it. We aim to live lives of purpose and significance, which is all good, but when we do it for the aim to be remembered, we don't live the Christian life because the Christian life is not living to be remembered. It is lived in remembrance. We are lived remembering what Jesus has done, and in an effort to be remembered, we end up building babbles for ourselves. We're not eternal. Babel was built in order to reach God, but God stoops down in order to reach us. Our need to be impressive manifests itself in this way. We ignore the reality that we are already loved. That's why we want to be impressive, in order to get the recognition or the attention from God, but it ignores the reality that you are already deeply loved. Have you ever thought about the idea that God made you limited on purpose? That you are not able to do everything that you would like to do. You're not even made like the angels. God made different beings. There are heavenly beings that don't hunger, don't thirst, praise God, don't need sleep, are much stronger than us. And then there's us. And God made us limited on purpose. And then he asks for not just the heavenly being's blessing, but your blessing. Why would God ask for your blessing when he has angels and heavenly hosts who minister to him day and night perfectly without ceasing? Whenever I go and see my little niece, she's almost four years old. And she is the cutest thing ever. And whenever I go and see her, it's not typically that she comes up and meets me with a hug, meets me with like, hey, I miss you. It usually meets me with like something that she's doing. Like it's like she's painting a picture, she's playing with Play-Doh, and then she runs up to me and she shows it to me and gives it to me. And although this Play-Doh in this picture is not very impressive, I love it. Why? Because a blessing given from a human heart that loves you is better than a blessing given from somebody who has to. The angels do not know redemption like you do. And they bless God from a different place. It's a good blessing, but it's not your blessing. If you can't bless God from a perfect place, can you bless him from a human place? Because for some reason he made you limited and for some reason he wants that limited blessing. But some of us think, no, God doesn't want my limited blessing. It, we think for some reason my creativity is too limited. My Bible knowledge is too limited. My consistency is too limited. My morality is too limited. And because of that, we start to think that God doesn't want our blessing. But if God made you limited on purpose, why would he despise your limitations? He made you that way. 
And he's asking for your blessing. He's not going to despise it once you've given it to him. He wants it. And though we are not too significant and not too impressive, there is something about your humanity that he loves. Paul speaks about our humanity in a really interesting, validating way in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. And he's talking about the reality and the, the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. If you know this time, it's almost like Paul is having this crisis where he's like, I do what I don't want to do, but I don't do what I do want to do because I know that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I really want to obey God and I want to, and I'm saved and I love him and I'm redeemed. But every time I want to, I don't do it. And then I know I shouldn't be sinning, but for some reason I keep on sinning and I keep on doing the things that I don't want to do. Like, what is going on? Like, why am I like this? And Paul is just like speaking out loud, thinking out loud about his humanity. And Paul then ends that whole uh, uh, passage by saying, praise God. And I'm like, wait, no, give me the answer. (laughs) What do I do? And he's like, no, no, no. Praise God. Why do I think that Paul ends Romans 7 by just saying, praise God? Because I think Paul knows that God intentionally designed us with weakness so that we would be dependent on him. And some of us simply have a rough Christian life because we live life out of order. In in the garden... When God created humanity, Adam and Eve, he made them right and good exactly as they should be. And he made them dependent. In the garden, who gave Adam a purpose? God or Adam? God. In the garden, who gave Adam and Eve a job? God or Adam? God. In the garden, who gave Adam and Eve relationship? God or Adam? God. In every area in the garden, this is before the fall, in every area in the garden, exactly as we should be, we were still totally dependent on God. There was not an area of our life where we were independent from him, even when we were created exactly as we should be. Your right and good design is to be dependent on God. And I'm not talking, it's it's this dependence that I think some of us actually get out of order because we aim to be independent. And we think that weakness is something to get rid of. See, because weakness we think is an issue. Weakness is a negative. Weakness doesn't get us where we want to go ultimately. But here's the reality, that if God made you dependent and he made you need him, your mature Christianity does not result in independence or self-sufficiency from him. Some of us think that mature Christianity looks like more self-sufficiency. No, mature Christianity looks like more dependency. People, and this is the issue, because in our world, we think when I get really good at something, I need less help with that thing. You get really good at school and you're like, I don't need to study as much or I don't need a tutor or I don't need this or I don't need that. That might be true. You get really good at your job and you say, I need less supervision. I need less attention on me. I don't need to be micromanaged as much. I get more freedom. That might be true, but not true in the kingdom of God. The people who get really good at God 
don't need less of him. They realize they need more of him. The people who get really good at God don't say, God, okay, I've got it from here. Thanks for getting me this far. They say, no, 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 please don't leave me. The people who get really good at God are not trying to be more self-sufficient. They're trying to be more dependent. But the world will teach you that weakness is a weakness. Weakness is a weakness. You need more attention. You need more resources. You require more time. And weakness might be a weakness in the world, but not in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, weakness is not a weakness. Strength is. Strength is a weakness in the kingdom of God. Why? Because strength simply says, God, I'm good enough, so you don't have to be. And then that is not good news. That is good effort. And all of the sudden, our Christian life becomes, I'm strong enough, I'm good enough, I can do it. God, thanks for getting me this far, but I've got it from here. And we are a church that is not about good effort. We're about the good news of Jesus, where he was good enough for you. I have a group message with uh, my brothers, and you ever have those group messages where like, it's all hype? Like, y'all just say wild stuff all the time. That's me and my brothers. And we have this group message. Also, we're like working out and talking, and all of a sudden, just trash talk. Trash talk starts going crazy. And as we're talking trash, we're saying, oh, man, what do you lift? What do you lift? What do you lift? And uh, one of my brothers threw out, he's like, let's have a race. And we're like, all right, bet, let's have a race. He's like, the first one to bench 300 pounds wins. We're like, bet perfect. Obviously, I'm going to win. And so we're like racing, right? And so we're like, whoever gets there first wins. I remember a couple months ago, I was, uh, uh, two months ago, I was lifting in the gym by myself. And you can see where this is going. I'm benching a lot. And don't ask me how much, just know it was a lot. And I was uh, putting up this weight. It was at the end of the set. And it was the end of the set where like, as soon as it hits your chest, you realize, you know what I'm talking about? Like it hits your chest, you're like, this ain't gonna turn out good. And so you just start like, oh! You start pushing that thing, like veins start popping out. And it was the uh, embarrassing moment where I didn't only hurt my shoulder, I hurt my ego. And I like had to like sneak out from under the bench, you know, where it like falls on the side and you gotta like sneak out from under it. It was one of those and I like threw out my shoulder, my ego, and I'm like walking away from the bench like, yeah, that was fine. I'm gonna come back, I never went back to the bench, right? I was thinking about that moment, and I was like, man, it's wild to think that in that moment, my need to be strong actually made me weaker. In my effort to be strong enough, I actually got weaker. And in our Christian life, if you are strong enough, then God doesn't have to be. He is not looking for the most eloquent, the most persistent, the strongest, the prettiest, the fastest, the best, the most influential. He's looking for the most dependent. The people who say, man, I don't have it, but God, you do. Maturity in Christ does not look like more self-sufficiency. It looks like more dependency. To say, God, actually, I get what Paul says, that when I am weak, then you are strong. 
And I'm not going to depend on my strength to get me through my life anymore. I know that you're not in search of far more productive people. I know that you're in search of dependent people. And even though weakness might be a liability in the world, I know that weakness actually invites the strength of God into my life. See, weakness is not a weakness in the kingdom of God. Strength is. Second Chronicles 12, 9 um, speaks about the spirit of God. And it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for, oh no, uh, Second Chronicles 16, sorry. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those who, whose hearts are blameless towards him. Which means that God is currently looking in the earth, searching all of the earth and wondering, who can I help? And I wonder, what if you are refusing the strong support of God in your life because you're acting like you're good enough? And he's saying, I'm looking for somebody who's saying, help me. But because you're saying, I'm good, he's saying, all right. What if I refuse the support of God because I'm already good enough? This verse has never been more real to me in my life than this year. This year, I came face to face with my humanity in a real way where there was no escaping it. There was no hiding from it. There was no getting away from it. There was no concealing it. My flesh and my humanity had to be confronted. And I had a choice to make in a similar way that all of us have a choice to make. Will I dig up my trust in God and say, I'm strong enough, I'll take it from here? Or will I bury my trust deeper into him and say, God, I am not good enough for this. And so you have to be. Weakness in the kingdom of God actually invites the strength of God into your life. And I know that I would not be as strong as I am if not for him making me aware of my weakness. And then all of a sudden you realize glory to glory, strength to strength is not always up and to the right. (laughs) And God takes us through a process. God journeys with us through life. And he is faithful to a thousand generations. And what he started in you, he will complete in you. And you do not need to be strong enough to fulfill the purpose of God in your life. You need to be totally dependent on him. For him to do what he needs to do inside of you. I've realized this humanity is a place where if we allow it to, actually doesn't push us away from God. It actually invites God closer to us. And Jesus is not confused by your humanity. He's actually very well acquainted with it. He created it. He lived it. He fulfilled it. 
that Jesus Christ actually, remember, was fully God and fully man. He is completely compassionate towards our humanity. We see in the scriptures, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. And he said, I'm going to step into that. Can you imagine never having an insecurity, never having a weakness, never having an issue, and all of a sudden plunging yourself full force into weakness, insecurity, and issues? And then fully trusting God. Jesus did exactly what we were ultimately always intended to do. Be fully human and fully trust our father. He didn't just see it and have compassion. He created it and lived it and fulfilled it. And this scripture is beautiful because he knows our frame. He remembers that we're formed from the dust. And as a flower of the field, the wind passes over it and its place remembers it no more. These scriptures, very practically in the Bible, are bracketed by God's love and his compassion. And in your life, your humanity in the same way is bracketed by God's love and his compassion. Let's go a few verses back. It says simply this. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion towards those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're formed from the dust. And as for man, his days are like grass. He's like a flower of the field that flourishes one day and the wind passes over it and remembers it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear him. And his righteousness towards children's children to those who remember his covenant and do his commandments. Your humanity is bracketed by God's love and compassion. And in that, we see that God's love goes to before you to after you. In John 13, we see Jesus in the last week of his life. And it says in John 13, verse 1, that when Passover had come, Jesus knew that his time in the earth was coming to an end. And he said, he says, my father has come for me to depart from this world. And having loved those in the world, he had loved them until the end. That word end is actually my name. Telos, telos, the, the finish, that's what that word is, the end of something, the fulfillment of something, the completion of something. That's what the word is, which is to say that Jesus is saying, I will love you until I'm done loving you. I will love you until the end of my assignment. I will love you until it's all finished. And let's go back to Psalms. When is his love finished? From everlasting to everlasting, which means that God will never stop loving you. It was placed on you before you were there, and it will be there after you're gone. His love for you does not depend on you. It was now placed on you. He's loved you to the end. He's loved you faithfully. He's loved you since before you were even born and after. And his love actually finishes the work of God in your life. He loves you until the end with an everlasting love. And then you might realize the scripture doesn't end there because it says, upon those who fear him. And his righteousness, children, righteousness goes to children's children upon those who remember to do his commandments. The word that David is inferring here is the word Shema. 
In a Hebrew mind, this word Shema is the same word that's used in Deuteronomy when the Lord speaks and says, if you will hear and obey. That's the word. And the word Shema is not two different thoughts like we think, like you hear something and then you obey something. No, in a Hebrew mind and in God's heart, it is one word, hear, obey. Hear, obey. And so God is simply saying this, if you did not obey me, you must not have heard me. So let me say it again. If you did not obey God, you must not have heard him. Because if you had heard him, you would have obeyed him. God is expecting a Shema type of response. Hear, obey. Upon those who fear him and remember to do his commandments. That is when the steadfast love of the Lord from everlasting to everlasting and the righteousness of God upon children's children gets placed upon you. When you Shema, hear, obey. In the trusting obedience that God has always been looking for, that Jesus fulfilled in his humanity, we find that God has let his steadfast and everlasting love be placed upon us. Then it says the Lord establishes his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all as I close. The only thought that I had about this verse was a simple one. It says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and, the kingdom, and his kingdom rules over all. The Lord has established his throne. The Lord has established his throne. You have not established his throne. Politics has not established his throne. Power and no person, no past, present, or future has established. Angels have not established his throne. The Lord has established his throne. And that means that nobody can take him off of his throne because nobody put him on his throne. He has never been insecure. He has never been unsettled. He has never been worried. He has never had to come up with another plan. He has been securely and comfortably seated on his throne that he established since before time began. He is the one who establishes his throne, which means I can rest that he is sovereign. He is in control. I don't need to worry because I didn't establish him. If I had established God, I should be worried. If I put God in that place, I should be concerned because I am fickle and I am weak. But the Lord establishes himself. And then he says, my rule, it goes everywhere. It's over all. There is not a place or a space, a person or a heart, a nation or a country, a politic or a situation or a family where my reign cannot be in. My kingdom rules over everything. He's sovereign. David is simply setting us up against God. That's all he's doing. He's not insulting you. He's saying, yeah, do you see him? I know. Do you see you? I know. Humanity. Eh. But loved. You are not nearly as impressive as you might think, but you are more loved than you could ever imagine. He's sovereign, and it says, lastly, where David ends is exactly where he starts. Bless the Lord. Oh, you as angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. 
Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. We're right back where we started. And this is a picture of our lives. Our lives ought to begin with blessing God, be filled with blessing God, and end with blessing God. And here's what happens. We bless God because God asks us to bless him. I don't get to decide what God wants for God. He tells me. I don't get to decide what God requires of me. He tells me. I don't get to tell God how I want to love God. God tells me how he wants to be loved. Listen, you don't have to convince me that you love God. I'm not going to judge you at the end of the day. I don't have to be convinced about your love of God. God has to be convinced of your love of God. And the way that God is convinced by your love of God is by trusting obedience in him that says, bless you with my life. And that's what he's requiring of you. That's what he's asking of you. Dare I say, that's what he's inviting you into. A life of blessing him. And because David knew, I don't get to decide how God gets blessed. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And let all that's within me bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He who redeems my life from the pit and who crowns me with steadfast love and mercy. He who forgives all of my iniquities and heals me of all of my diseases. He who satisfies me with good so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made his ways known to Moses and his acts known to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love upon those who fear him as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us as a father shows compassion towards his children so the lord shows compassion towards those who fear him for he knows our frame he remembers that we're dust and as for man he's like grass He flourishes like a flower of the field and the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear him and his righteousness towards children's children upon those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. And the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord. Oh, you his angels, you his mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we bless you. (laughs) 
with whatever we got. We bless you, Lord, with a broken blessing, we bless you. God, with a fragmented blessing, we bless you. With an inconsistent blessing, we bless you. With a dirty blessing, Lord, we bless you. With a total blessing, Lord, we bless you. With our entire lives, not just with our mouths, we bless you. With a life and a heart that's submitted to you, not just with a shout in church, we bless you. God, from every area, we bless you. Not just with our relationships, but with our money, we bless you. Not just with our intimacy, but with our family, we bless you. Not just, God, with our minds, Lord, but with our jobs, we bless you, Lord Jesus. Be blessed in this place. God, and if you're not blessed in any other place, be blessed in this place. And if you're not blessed in any other heart, be blessed in this heart.